You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. So, you know, the big joke amongst podcasters and people who listen to podcasts is that everyone has a podcast. Right. And so you can, you know, basically if you have enough enough of attention span and enough money to pay your hosting fees, you can have anything, you know, a podcast about anything you want. And people do. <laughs> and no, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of really interesting podcasts and I've seen quite a, a wide variety, but I've been pleasantly surprised by one that you would probably not expect. Uh, and that is called Desert Island Dips. And now, by dips, they mean like condiments. So it's, Okay, because I went to Dippin' Dots. And dip, oh, <laughs> Dippin' Dots. Oh, I thought, I thought maybe you might have been thinking of like swimming. Well, I or, went there too. So, And but, I thought it was stupid people. So, <laughs> Okay, well, you know, there, there's the English language for you. It can mean a variety of things. But I, I've actually been really pleasantly surprised by it. It's only about a half hour long, so it fits nicely in everyone. I don't have time to listen to one of like my lengthy uh, theology podcasts, but they, they go through and they talk about different condiments and their history, and um, then they kind of rank them, uh, and they're looking <laughs> for the top five that would be, if you had to take some to a desert island, and those were your five condiments you could use for the rest of your life. Would which ones would you take? And now I'm I'm only on episode six, so they just now have gotten to. Uh, they've just now filled up the five slots, so they're just now getting to where they're going to have to boot someone off. So you know the the tension is rising. <laughs> uh, but I it's been around for a couple of years. It's it's pretty entertaining. So if you need something that you can listen to, that's uh, just. It's it's fun because it's like you get some interesting history tidbits. Um, you know, you find out that the you know the person who started the you know started first making mayonnaise popular and sellable in in large quantities, his name was Hellman. Well, that makes sense. So it's like, oh yeah, I've heard that name before. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's things like that. Uh, but it's it's kind of interesting. It's this, this uh, lady from Canada. Uh, her name's Emily, actually. Um, well, there's one point in her favor, and, uh, and Canadian, yeah, because so many of our listeners are Canadian. <laughs> yeah, and her co and she lived, but she's uh, moved to to London, and her co-host is uh, from England. So it's very pleasant to listen to, uh, you know, the British accents, and and you know, it's it's great. I, uh, you can I enjoy be passionate it. about your condiments if you're going to dedicate a whole podcast in two years. Uh, they, I think they started in 2016 or 20, I'd, ha I'd have to double check, maybe 2017. Let me see when their first episode is. Yeah, you know, I, I like a good dip. I, I, and I'm fanatical about a great sauce, but I don't think I could actually devote that much time and energy <laughs> to, to a podcast. Well, I don't think I could do a whole podcast on it, but, um, but they have, and... <laughs> More power to them. Uh, let's see here, this is, uh, 2018, so I guess they're a little over a year old. But, uh, but fantastic show if you want something to just, you know, if you're like us and you listen to a lot of 
history, a lot of theology, a lot of social commentary stuff, and you need something to just get a bit of a break, it's a great show for that. Well, uh, yeah, now I can see that because you and I have both talked about it seems like if we aren't actually like physically working on something, we are always mentally working on something. Yep. And I have to consciously sometimes go, I need silence because I've always got a podcast going on and most of it's to prepare for this, uh, just different theological views and, you know, don't always have time to sit down and read a book. Uh, Although that's how I prefer to get my information. Yeah. uh, Ty would not prefer that because I would never cook or clean again. Yeah. But, but no, I I just want to throw that out there as a recommendation. Um, uh, they're not they're they're not paying us. It's just a podcast. Not affiliated it's in any way. Just something I came across. And if you like this show and you <laughs> like people talking about stuff they love, uh, you can hear about uh, the history of condiments from people who <laughs> love condiments. And it's a it's a this, fun show. And and it's even one I would say is probably safe to listen to with kids. Well, okay, there you go. There there's the clincher because most of the stuff we listen to is not. <laughs> I mean, and we're just talking about Bible stuff. Yeah. So. It's, <laughs> as i mentioned in last show but um so yeah and last week actually didn't it didn't turn out to be near as bad as i thought it was going to be but you know still given the topic the topic and where it could have gone i figured we should throw that out there well and you know quite honestly it didn't get as bad because i kind of vented to you about some of the just really really out there things that that have been said and you know, one of the, the dangers of having a vague or ambiguous biblical text is a lot of times people want to um, insert their agenda on it, impose their agenda, their, uh, agenda, agenda. This is a, this is past an agenda. This is like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to justify my butchering of the English language now. But, you know, th- th- it's these people who, who say, oh, oh, there's now. enough, there's enough ambiguity that I can, I can impose whatever idea I want. Yeah. And, and that's the reason why you've got to have the, the fuller context. And you, you, I think the rape of Dina was actually a great story to show how understanding it really required that you did, you reached out further to see how it was used in other yep. places in the scripture. So uh, if you didn't listen, I, I think it was a pretty good show. Oh. Um I go back and listen and uh, tell us what you think. Yeah. So. Well, that being said, that uh, so we got past uh, Dina and uh, Shechem and all that stuff. So. Yeah. Where are we now? So um, Jacob and his family now that they they've um, Simon and Levi have wiped out all the citizens of Shechem, which was a crazy uh, fulfillment of God's prophecy that Jacob and his descendants were going to possess this land. Now, whether it was done in the way God would have had it or not, that that was part of the ambiguity of the passage. And now God tells Jacob, hey, you remember that promise you made me to go back to Bethel? It's time for you to get a move on. And Jacob, you kind of have to ask yourself, why does he have to be told this? You know, why did he spend so much time in Shechem? Mm Mm-hmm. Because if he would have kept traveling like God had, you know, like he'd promised God he would do, then maybe none of this would have happened. Right. And again, we're back to that ambiguity. But we do know that Shechem is kind of um, the the traditional route. It's the one that Abraham followed, Shechem, and then Bethel, and then on to Beersheba and Hebron. And so Jacob's going to follow this same pathway as with the kids. Now, the, the 
passage opens, and we're in Genesis 35. Uh, you know, God tells Jacob, arise, get yourself to Bethel. And he also gives um, a very detailed description, the God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So basically, the God who set all this in motion is telling you to do this, and you need to do what you, were, what you promised to do. He also tells them that they need to rid themselves of alien gods in your midst and purify yourself and change your clothes. Yeah. So we have a question here. Where did the alien gods come from? Well, they were probably hanging out with the, the ladies of Shechem because they killed all the men. That's my guess. I mean, I don't have any and hard evidence. That's but my assumption is they probably there were some guys in the camp because you know he's moving a lot of cattle. You saw mm-hmm. how much he gave away. He's got a lot of workers, and, and they all need another wife. He has four. So yeah, I mean, it's what the boss is doing. <laughs> yeah. So well, and and that is honestly probably where some of them came from. Uh, that's one possibility, and the other possibility is how many came with them from Laban's from house. From Laban's house, yeah, because they did they did take a lot of them. Uh, well, Rachel at least well, took some. We know that. Yeah, Rachel took some. So, yeah, that that would make sense. So now now it's like, hey, we're getting ready to finally do what God told us to do. Jesus is coming. Look busy. <laughs> um, you know, he's it's uh, we're we're gonna do what God's told us to do. Let's look like we're prepared for it. Exactly. And, and when you contrast this chapter with the chapter that went before, this chapter is about purification. It's about uh, readying yourself to meet God. Uh, you know, Bethel, we got to remember the events that happened there. This is where, where God shows up and we got the, the ladder, Jacob's ladder event. Yeah. Now, I, I do have a question real quick about, does this have anything to do with, because I do know that there are some uh, fairly liberal interpretations from some rabbis that whenever you are in another land, that it's okay to go to the temples of the other gods and pay respect to the local deities. Um. Is this kind of, does this play into some of that thinking that, you know, we're getting ready to go back into the promised land. We can't take the other gods back with us, even though we kind of hung out with them while we were there. Well, I, I, there's probably some of that at play because there, uh, there is this idea that you should preserve life above all else. And so even if you were forced to bow down and, and worship another god, if you didn't worship in your heart, then it's okay. As long as you kept the first commandment, which isn't, there's no other gods, so only worship me, it's, you shall have, have no, no other gods, gods before me, mm-hmm. that there is that, that teaching. Um, I think that's kind of gone out the window in New Testament ideology. I want to put that out there and be clear that, you know, if you're worshiping another god, you know, it, let, let's take a, a s- scenario from today. I would love to go to, like, India and Tibet, and I would love to see some of the ancient structures, maybe Japan. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I'm not going to go in and graffiti walls or blow up anything that, that that would be rude and disrespectful, even if I disagree with the gods that are being worshipped, still being worshipped there. Right. But, but I would. But you're not going to go throw butter on one of the idols. Right. Well, that actually might be OK in certain Hindu because butter is one of the. No, I'm, saying, but you're not, no I'm saying you're not going to do it because, yeah. um, because that is the way they worship yeah. some of the idols is yeah. to, to apply butter to them. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I, I was thinking like slinging. No, butter. like not as an insult. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to participate. I know a little bit of history. Yeah, well, this is good. <laughs> I, I, but there's this, I think today, one of the, one of the things that's come out of um, diversity and cultural tolerance is the idea that we can allow somebody else to worship in their way. Mm-hmm. We can worship in ours and we just, just be respectful. 
And so we don't have to necessarily participate in the worship to save our lives. And I think that's where that idea with those rabbinic teachings, it was mostly about saving lives. Because, Fair. you know, a lot of times respecting these other gods wasn't abs- respecting some abstract being. You're respecting Pharaoh. You're respecting Caesar. You're mm-hmm. respecting, you know, a real human being with an army and a military police force that could kill you. Yeah. So Problematic. Yeah. It's a little bit more even so than, than what you would think of with an abstract deity. So, but this, this whole chapter where it is about purification and it is about ridding yourself of the things that tied you to this land, whether it was Laban or it was Shechem before it had been reclaimed, that's what this whole chapter is about. And it's a startling contrast to the previous chapter where it's about defilement. It, it's about violence. And so mm-hmm. it, it, it's put here to, to make you understand that this is a world of extremes that they're living in. And to help you understand that, that there is not going to be some kind of in-between middle ground that, that you can be comfortable in. And so, I, so in some ways, it kind of goes against that idea of being okay. And, you know, the, kind of, uh, you are now in Israel. Now you better toe the line. Right. And also, notice the purification. It happens before the journey. So even the journey itself is holy. It's not just once you get there, you're going to be involved in this holy moment, but actually preparing to get there is part of the worship. It's part of the sacrifice and that you need to be engaging your hearts and minds in preparation for that moment as an act of, of worship that, that builds. And so, I mean, there, there's a teaching point right there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I oh, that's interesting. Yeah, sorry. No, that's okay. So I was just kind of reading ahead, so I, I don't have much comment. I didn't have time to formulate commentary on that, but no, it's good. Shame on you. So I can, it's hard to read and do and do the thinking at the same time. <laughs> yeah, adding talking on top of it. Well, thinking about what you're talking about while reading something else. Right. That's where it really gets into it. Well, and then we've got um, Jacob. You know, he, this is he was kind of scared of taking this trip. I mean, he told uh, Simon Levy that. Basically, hey, you've, you've made me stink, was the translation that you offered to the people around. Well, I didn't. The ESV did. ESV. Uh, yeah. Uh, odious was one translation. You've made me dirty. Uh, and so Jacob was really terrified of making this, this uh, trip because if the, the people united, they could destroy him. But it says, uh, as they set out, and, and notice it's as they set out, as they're in the, the act of obedience— a terror from God fell on all the cities around so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. I want to know what happened. Right? <laughs> what, did they just wake up and like, I, I, I'm scared and I don't know what's going on? Or Well, yeah. And so, yeah, was it, was it like, yeah, a psychological thing? Did something happen? And what, what was that? Verse five. And this, this has the most r- disappointing commentary right here <laughs> in this book. Okay. Uh, it says, uh, verse 5, this verse may be a conclusion to the tale told in chapter 34. <laughs> Thanks. 35 follows 34. Well, I know, but it's saying, <laughs> it's saying this verse might be wrapping up the story to the tale told in 34. And I'm like, I'm, I didn't need that. I kind of figured <laughs> that out on yeah. my own. 
Well, and unfortunately, sometimes commentary... I could have typed that in there, <laughs> and I would have been just as correct as the person who wrote that. Sorry. And some commentaries are that bad. I, I, mean... Well, I mean, most of this commentary is pretty good, has some good points, but <laughs> it's just frustrating whenever I'm like, especially when I'm going with a commentary that's pretty good, and then I get to a verse that is really weird that I need the, a lot of extra uh-huh. help with, and it's it, I get something like that, and I'm like... I thought we had, I thought we were friends, you know, it's like. <laughs> that, that's how it was working on my thesis. All the commentaries are like that. And just for reference, for those who, who can't see uh, what you have, that's the Jewish study Bible. Uh, it's available on Amazon. It's like 20 bucks. I mean, not to tell you how much your Christmas present was, but whatever. It, it's, it's a great commentary. Um, if you want just some Jewish insights into the Old Testament, and then there's some great essays in the back. And so just kind of the introductory way to get into that Jewish perspective, I, I highly recommend that one. And that's the reason why you have a copy. No, it's, it's been cool. It's been good to have to read along with. So um, for whatever reason, they're scared. Uh, you know, the could have been lightning strikes across the sky or what. Yeah, I, mean, I want to know, was it, was it a storm, locust, <laughs> mass <question>. panic, <laughs> large scale delusions? I don't know. Like, I want to know. <laughs> This collective peyote trip or something, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. did they get fungus in their bread? Um, also a possibility. Oh, and that's the thing. When, when we start asking these kinds of questions, now we're like, it, it's not in an attempt to define God or limit what he can do. But, you know, when you have, you know, it's just me and you, and we've come up with some crazy things without even giving it really any kind of thought at all. And... When you've got a school of people who are sitting around discussing this and discussing, and Mm -hmm. it really opens your mind to the fact that the way God did things really wasn't his only option. Right. And so I I love that about, um, you know, about what the scripture has to teach us. And I think maybe that's why some of the ambiguities left. Yeah. What's army of angels? I I mean, I, I could go on just listing things that... That's not going to be the rest of the episode. <laughs> I'll yeah. let us move on. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so verse six, and Jacob came to Luz, and then mine has like two dashes, and it says, that is Bethel. Uh, that's a real, I wanted to point that out. That's a quick uh, indication that an editor was at work. Right. So. Uh, updating the, the what? Well, yeah. Uh, updating the place names. What was the, the word that, that uh, toponymy? That's the oh. fancy word for it. <laughs> Don't know. I I don't know because I it's not been till recently that I realized how important geography was. So a lot of times I like, yeah, they were that place, you know, because it had right. no meaning for me. So sometimes when you're reading this, it really is good just to have a good map and to oh yeah, they're here and they're there. Maybe and, we could get one and maybe fix like, it up here. Or yeah. Something. So. so yeah, so you can watch on YouTube and I, can I get a pointer and I can smack it? Okay, never mind. Nope. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm not giving you a large. I'm not giving you a large <laughs> stick in this room. So, um, anyway, they get to, to Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who are with him, and they, they built an altar at the site of El, Bethel, which is God, house of God. Um, you know, so driving the point home that this is for God. Uh, what's, what's yours say? Um, I don't know. I had an ant on my sleeve that I was getting knocked You're not there. that sweet. Sorry. Uh, verse uh, seven. Ver- Verse seven. Uh, uh-huh. Sorry. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the sons of Jacob had come from the field as soon. 
Uh, you're the I'm wrong chapter. Yeah, I'm in 34. <laughs> That's different. That sounds very different than what we heard. Translators were a little off that day. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Okay, so mine actually in the footnote says God of Bethel. And so, uh, or, and Bethel is house of God. So God of the house of God. The God of the house of God. Yeah. So that God built. Yeah. The well, house, well, and, and this Jacob built. Sorry. Well, and, and that's the thing. This is Jacob and God joining together to build to build a house. Uh, and by house, we're actually speaking of a family, right? And so God had promised Jacob this this family because you know up to this point, God had told Abraham, "You're going to be the father of many nations." Um. Yeah, you got two kids. Kick one of them out. <laughs> okay, and then he didn't say kick one out. Well, yeah, he did. get rid of Isaac. I mean, not Isaac, Ishmael. Ishmael. Oh, oh, yeah. oh Abraham. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, I was thinking of Jacob. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Kick- or I was thinking of Isaac, not, not Abraham. Yeah, so I keep hitting the mic stand. Nathan's going to be grumpy. Uh, so <laughs> I, have, I can't talk without my hands. Uh, yeah, but okay. anyway, uh, so then Isaac only has two sons. Uh, you're doing it. Yeah, uh-huh. now I'm hitting it. And so Isaac has two sons. Uh, and one of them's been basically in exile for the last 20 years. And this idea of building a house, uh, Jacob's really the first one who, who's capable of creating something that even you and I would recognize as family. With yeah. the extended aunts and uncles and all the cousins. And Now, here's an interesting question. Is there anything to the fact that first you have the son who's not part of the promise in exile, then you have the son who is the receiving the promise in exile. Um, so there, is there anything to that? that- uh, there probably is. And, and it's probably just to show that God's, if nothing else, God is God over all circumstance. Okay. And that you can't, uh, you know, God does put certain systems, and I, I hate to use the word formulas, in place, but they aren't always... Maybe um, models. Right. Models might work. Um, you know, there's certain structures that... that you can follow through and go, okay, this is how it works. But then there's, there's always this point where it seems like there's departure where God veers off and says, you're just going to have to trust me. I know this yeah. isn't what you're used to. Just trust me. And so uh, Jacob fulfills his vow to return to, to Bethel. And then we get this verse in here. And I got to tell you, I almost skimmed right past this. Uh, verse 8, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died and was buried under the oak below Bethel, so its name was Alan Bekoth. I, I, I was like, yeah, there's, I just assumed that all the commentaries would do exactly what this one did to you. Okay. Yeah, Deborah died. But Deborah, uh, we haven't heard about her uh, since Isaac and Rebecca got married. So this was a woman that Jacob, you know, grew up with, who was there his whole childhood. Um, we really don't know anything about her, but the, there are a lot of stories about her that kind of try to explain um, why she was here. Uh, Rashi, and I think he actually pulls this from Genesis Rabbah, which is uh, a commentary on Genesis, which dates further back. But Rashi said that, you know, Rebecca had said she would send for Jacob to come back from Laban's. Mm-hmm. And she never does. Right. And so uh, he said that this was Deborah coming to, to get 
Jacob. That's why she met him on the road and why he's traveling with them at the, this time. Now, that's highly unlikely because Rachel would have been a young woman. This would have been her nurse. So, I mean, this would have been basically like Jacob's elderly grandmother coming to, to get him. So that doesn't really make sense. Uh, there's some other things that it's kind of like I, mm, they're reaching. Right. Yeah. And so and we, we talked about, hey, you got to be careful with that. So, but we do have to ask, why is it so significant? Because most of the time when the women die, they just disappear. Right. We don't know what happened to Rebecca. Well, and not even when they die, whenever they stop being uh, part of the plot device. Yeah. Um, they're just written out. You don't even, there, there's not any sign that they even died for all, you know, for all the text tells mm-hmm. they, they lived forever, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, we got Rebecca's nurse, the record of her death, but not uh, the, the record of, uh, of Rebecca herself. Now, one of the theories is that this is kind of a covert way of saying that Rebecca died and Jacob was going to bury her and not have to worry about Esau coming back to get him. I think we've kind of explored reasons why that's probably not true. Matter of fact, uh, when Isaac dies, Jacob and Esau bury him together. Mm-hmm. So I think that's not even a really good possibility. Right. Um, and that that name there, that uh, Alon Bakoth, that, that's an oak of weeping. Yeah, of- which would be a great album title, by the way. Go ahead. <laughs> and... Um, so I, I decided to do some, do some digging and see what else I could find. And I knew that there was some tie, uh, of course, you know, when we talk about Deborah in the Bible, most of us immediately jump to Judges 4. Those who have been told the story. Those who have been told the story, which I'm not going to go into the story other than to say she was a, a judge and a prophetess, and she led the men into a battle, and they won. So, um, but more on that later. Exactly. And so the, the, the two are connected with the name. Uh, they're also connected because trees, uh, Deborah, when she did prophesy judges for Deborah, mm-hmm. when she did prophesy, she sat under the palm of Deborah, which is not far from matter of fact, Bethel is mentioned in that description. Sure. So it's the same kind of geography. It's not necessarily the precise location, but the judges writer is, including enough detail to make you think about this location. Mm-hmm. And um, so essentially the word Deborah uh, itself, there's a couple of different translations. The first one is bee. And like to be or like the honey bee? No, it's not to be. It's bee. Uh, it's the, <laughs> yeah, you said to be. I said, no, it's not to be. Ha. Huh? Mm. Uh, it's the bee, bzz, honey bee. Okay. Yeah. So, gotcha. I was being clever. Well, say <laughs> so that anyway. So there's the bee, and uh, you know, and bees are kind of interesting critters. I I, I like bees, but then um, it's also could be based. It's got the same consonantal stem as the word devar, and the word devar in Hebrew actually means the word or a word. And when the prophets speak, they speak with Hadavar, the word, which is the mm-hmm. creative word of God. So it makes sense that a prophetess would, would have a name that reflected that office. That's interesting. So I've kind of always leaned towards that. But then 
I love it whenever my presuppositions kind of get played with. Well, okay, now here's okay, now here's something though. There is kind of a link to to the the bee. If you're thinking of a bee like in a honeybee and the word and uh like prophetic word and mm-hmm. David says the uh, you know, in the Psalms the word the what was it uh name is like honey. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, kind of and then when and then there's also in the when they teach children uh, the 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 Torah they reward them for memorizing sections of it with honey to to mm-hmm. to get this idea of sweetness involved. So it's uh so you know I could see having those two kind uh those two together. roots and and uh, uh yeah working together to 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 form a, a picture in the uh, the Jewish mindset. Yeah, and actually that that kind of works because uh, we have another writer. His name is Josephus, mm-hmm. and Josephus wrote the history of the Jews. Um, it's not always in complete accordance with what we find in the Bible, but he is considered one of our major resources. And so um, he actually translates this Hebrew word or Hebrew name Deborah into the uh, Greek word for bee, which is Melissa. Now, Melissa was the title of the prophetess and priestess of the Oracle of Delphi. And so bees were women who had the title of bee in the Greek were prophetess and priestess. And it wasn't just Delphi. I mean, it's, it was all over. And we have so many records. And That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it, there's this, this idea that Josephus is building on that this Deborah was also a prophetess and priestess. And remember, the name isn't just a, a hey, you, it's, yeah, it's who are you? Yeah. And, and, and often, oftentimes um, it's speculated that the names were changed afterward mm-hmm. to talk about that person as they related to the story, mm-hmm. as opposed to them being a literal name, you know. Right. And so we've got this this connection back there. Uh, and so this, for this reason, a lot of the ancient commentators believe that she was some kind of, if not a prophetess, she was at least a wise woman that they were relating, uh, relying on to, to help them with good decisions, which would have been common in ancient cultures. Well, and which would have been a little bit evident in the text as well. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because otherwise, why would they mourn her death? But you've also got to remember, where did she come from? She was Rebecca's nurse. Who's Rebecca? Before she was Isaac's wife, she was Laban's sister. Right. So this Deborah was part of Laban's house, and she would have been part of that household that worshipped gods, worshipped the idols. And so there's this idea that maybe in her death, we're, we're starting to really break off those final ties. If she had been a prophetess, you know, she may not have been a prophetess for God. Right. Because Laban himself, he calls himself a Nakash, a diviner. Right. So there, there's all of these ties that, that tie her in that she may have been a very spiritually wise woman, but where did that wisdom come from? Hmm. And so, uh, you know, some of that speculation, and those are just questions that you kind of have to live with in the text, but I, there, I think there's a certain amount of uh, sense to it. Well, and, and that's one of those things where it's, is it necessarily something that this is what we have to believe? No, but we could see how 
see how viewing the text that way could be useful mm -hmm. if you were speaking to a Greek audience. Right. Or if you were, you know, speaking to someone maybe in a similar culture. So mm -hmm. yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I, 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 I love things like that. So she dies. We have that one little verse, which is so random. And then uh, God appears to Jacob again, and he blesses him. And he gets into this big, long blessing. Uh, I'm not going to read all of it, but some of the key lines in there. But Israel shall be your name. So we have this reaffirmation that the name that was given to Jacob in the fight really is the title that's going to be used for him. Mm -hmm. um, be fertile and increase. And I'm going to tell you why this is important in a second. Uh, and kings shall descend from your loins. And so uh, the thing is, the very next story is Rachel giving birth to Benjamin. And so God says, be fertile and increase, and now I'm going to kill your wife. Okay. And Rachel actually dies in a place whose name means fruitful. Well, I, I'm curious about uh, if there's anything to the be fertile and, and increase. Is that anything to do with the be fruitful and multiply that you see at the begin beginning of Genesis? Is this kind of... It's tied back to that. I yeah. Mean, it's because, I mean, we see all the time all these ideas and recurring themes of we keep screwing it up and God keeps giving us course corrections. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just, I'm curious about if there's how much significance that tie has to it other than it's just, hey, I've chosen you to try to, I've chosen you to bring about my, to, to course correct the rest of the world. Well, yeah, because I mean, the first part of, of Genesis 1 through 11, that entire part of that story, it's all about the loss of sacred space. Sure. It, it, I mean, God made the, the big white earth, and then he creates a garden, which the garden in and of itself, when we haven't gone over this, but it's a temple account. Mm -hmm. And so this is the building of sacred space where God and mankind meet. You know, they don't meet in, in the rest of the world. They meet in the garden. Right. And then they're kicked out of this garden. But they're still told to be fruitful and multiply, and that's still what they're supposed to be doing. Jacob's family, the whole reason of singling them out, with, starting with Abraham, is to recreate this sacred space mm -hmm. so that there's a place for God to once again meet with humanity. And, you know, there's some fulfillment, fulfillment of that in Exodus with the building, uh, with the tabernacle and then the, the temple and God's Shekinah glory, and that there is this building where they can meet. And, and, but that's just still a little glimpse of what's going to happen whenever Jesus comes back and now the whole world is supposed to be under his rule. And we as believers are, are trying to create sacred space in our own lives, no matter where we are. Right. So, uh, yeah, so th there is something to it because at this point we're, we're still trying to work out that plan of how that sacred space is going to be recreated. Mm -hmm. And that's cool. Oh, I mean, and, you know, we could, that's where the, that Deuteronomy 32 worldview comes in, the divine council worldview. And, and we aren't going to go down that path today, but that all ties in yeah. with this. I can see that. So, um, so Rachel goes into labor and she, she has a son. Uh, it's a very hard labor. And matter of fact, she names him uh, Ben-Oni, which is... Um, this one is could be son of my suffering or son of my strength, depending on how you translate it, according to 
according to this little uh, footnote here. Yeah, uh, that's it's underneath my, yeah, son of my sorrow or son of my vigor is what mine says. So synonyms. Fair enough. And then um, Jacob says, no. Now, he doesn't have kids with really positive names to begin with. I, some of Leah's sons, it's like... Well, okay, you know, and I do think it's funny because you were talking about, we talked about like what mm-hmm. some of their, their names mean and, mm-hmm. and that a lot of them seem to be directed at, you know, Leah's son's names tend to be directed at Rachel. Like, and, Take and, that. Yeah, and to <laughs> me, that is so funny because, you know, we, we talk about uh, uh, when, <laughs> when, when uh, one of my roommates was getting ready to have a baby and we were talking, something was said about baby names. And, um, and she was saying that, um, we're, we're just talking about how people name their kids weird things. And so, and you know, we pretty much anytime someone's going to have a baby, you, you get kicked around. You're like, we hope they don't name them something weird because that's just, and we think of that as something that someone who's young and immature does. And, and, and it's like, that's been going on for a while. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. some of these Bible names, it's like uh, Ichabod, uh, you know, there is no glory. I mean, the glory has departed. Who names their child something like that? But at the same time, we today will go, hey, this name was in the Bible. And so I'm going to name this my kid this. It's like, no, don't stop it. Don't yeah. do that. Um, so but this is the only child that Jacob says, that's just too weird. and. He actually changes Benjamin's name to son of my right hand. And uh, so because of that, there's speculation that, and, and it can be read that this way, read this way, that this is really Rachel's confession, mm-hmm. that the son of my sorrow, son of my shame is another um, translation that, you know, the first son, Joseph, she was able to conceive because she used mandrakes. Right. Now she's got Benjamin and because she used the idols from her father's house. Mm-hmm. Now, ultimately, we, we all, you know, we believe God's ultimately in control. But there's something to these magical practices that they're doing that they're attributing some kind of benefit or help. Right. And so... And now, th- and now this is just our, kind of our best guess based on some commentaries. And, uh, yeah. And so it's not, it's, it's not solid. Well, the thing is, what this does, if you, that portion in Deborah and with Rachel here, what you're really doing, you're, you're building that idea that removing the people who still hung on to those idols and had those, those ties. I mean, now, Rachel, she was desperate. Mm-hmm. She she was just trying to to get some help. I mean, she goes to Jacob and says, "Give me a son." And Jacob's like, "It's your problem. You know, go go figure it out." And so she did. Um, she she came up with a solution, and it was the only solution she knew, being the daughter of Laban. Right now, w- one thing I, I do want to talk about real quick, and this I know you probably weren't planning on this, but you're talking about getting rid of all the people who were worshiping other gods or using idols, things like that. Um. Now I, I know God gets a lot of flack for that kind of thing, uh, in it both in and outside the church we struggle with that, and so when we when we think about um, like the Deuteronomy thirty two the the uh, worldview the the divine council stuff where you have these other Elohim mm-hmm. and you have um, idols representing these other gods, 
and it's, real beings, not just figments of somebody's imagination. Right. Well, yeah. And so, but we think about it, we think about it, the way we're kind of taught the Bible is, well, God made the world and he made one whole rule in the whole world and we broke that <laughs> one silly rule. Right. And so now he's going to kill us. But if you think about the, the way that God talks about his relationship to his, to his church and his people, he uses these marriage analogies. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes we're, you know, I think we kind of caricaturize it as uh, God put this law up here and it's got all these little arbitrary details. And if you break just one of them, then, then you're out. He's going to kill you. And I think what we, what we fail to grasp when we, when we caricaturize God like that is, is that when he uses this marriage analogy, and someone chooses to not follow his law, you know, and we're not talking about accidental sin. Right. Uh, we're talking uh, about this arrogant, I'm going to defy your law because I don't want to worship you the way that I think you should be worshipped, or I'm going to go follow another god. We're not talking about, you know, to use the marriage analogy, we're not saying someone forgot to take out the garbage, so God's divorcing them. We're saying, you slept around with the, with the neighbor, and God so cut them in your bed together. <laughs> so it's time for you to leave. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that, that when you really break down the analogy, it, it's not just... It's a matter of loyalty. Yeah, it's not God was having a bad day at work and came home and to dirty dishes and kicked you out. It, it's, it goes much farther than that. Well, and I think, I think we miss that. And I mean, there's a great line in Frida, uh, shameless commentary and plug, uh, but you know, she she realizes um, that Diego is always going to sleep around. Mm-hmm. She and she accepts that, but she makes one demand: Can you be loyal? And her idea of loyalty wasn't necessarily sexual fidelity, but it was always putting them first in mm-hmm. in, in the way that they had defined it. Now, I don't think that's healthy. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, we're not endorsing their yeah. marriage arrangement. Their marriage was so messed up. But but it's the same kind of, I I see that idea here with with God, because even whenever there has been infidelity, there usually is this point of redemption where Mm -hmm. he's like reaching out and calling them back. I mean, we see that vividly in Hosea with the story there. And, but the the thing is, with this, there's this, this is the beginning, this is the foundation, the the consequences are so much more harsh. Mm -hmm. And they almost have to be because you've got to remember these people, they were steeped in these cultures and traditions of not just like out there gods of the gods of the heavens and different things, ancestor worship, uh, having these things in their home that they would feed them, that they would clothe them. This, this was normal day-to-day life. And so God's really having to dig out some deep roots here. Mm-hmm. And also I'd like to point out that Yes, Rachel died, and I do think it has something to do with her uh, bringing these fertility gods along. But Jacob actually was the one who spoke the death sentence, right? Because yeah, I think we we talked about mm-hmm. that in an earlier episode where yeah. he, when he tells Laban, "Whoever, if if you find these with any of my people, they're going to die." And this this is really important because with Genesis three, we we start out with Adam saying basically. Hey, yeah, I didn't really want to eat it, but this woman that you forced on me, God, made me have a bite, you know? Mm-hmm. And so Adam 
doesn't have, you know, he doesn't take responsibility from it for his own action. He, he blames the woman when, um, when Abraham allows Pharaoh and Abimelech to take Sarah, it's her fault too. She's just too beautiful and he doesn't want to die. There's uh, never at any point up to this point, are the men taking any kind of responsibility for the women? The only time we see that has been Simon and Levy with, with Dina. Right. And even then, they aren't taking responsibility for their own actions. They're just extending protection. So we don't have any man at this point taking responsibility for the things he has brought on his own family. Right. And that's going to come into play because when that happens, then the, everything takes off. Right. Sacred space can be created. We can start to have the building of the family. We can start to have healthy relationships, but it's going to take some crazy circumstances that I can't wait to talk about. So anyway. Yeah. Sorry. That, that was my, I didn't mean to take us too far down that field, but that's something that, that we had talked about before that I thought was a, a good analogy, especially when we're talking about, if we're talking about God getting rid of idolaters and especially killing them, uh, then I think it was, it would just be a good time to, to throw that in. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, and you know, the thing is, with where she died, um, Jacob, he still sees her as his primary wife. Uh, he erects a pillar that, at the time of the writing to who knows when, uh, which editor may have put that in, that the pillar was there from that time until the day, uh, mm -hmm. that day. So we don't know how long it was there. There's still some dispute. Some people say they found it. Other people say you haven't. Uh, it's very closely related to, to Bethlehem. We talked about that on a previous episode. Mm -hmm. um, and Jacob really does see uh, Rachel as his wife. But like we said last time, the Torah, not so much. Now, in the blessing that God gave him, he says that kings will descend from you. Mm -hmm. And you still see echoes of the Leah and uh, Rachel saga because Saul, the first king, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Okay. He's the wrong king. Because all the other kings, they're supposed to be from the tribe of Judah. Of Judah. Yeah. So, and Judah is Leah's son. And not only is she Leah's son, she's Leah's son who was raised after his mother said, you know what? This is the way it is. I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. God has got me. He's going to take care of this. Right. So... You, you still see this echo of who is the rightful son? Who, who is the real son? Because Judah doesn't have that same relationship with his dad. Right. And so it's kind of interesting to, to see how, how the things that are going on in this family so early, there, there's going to be ripples mm -hmm. throughout the rest of the Bible. So it's pretty interesting. But um, after that, there, there's uh, Esau, uh, we got a few chapters, of, I guess one chapter, of Esau's descendants. I looked. Well, before that, um, before we get oh, yeah. there, okay. at the very end of uh, 35, we uh, do see Isaac passes away. We only get like a paragraph on it that uh, Jacob gets a chance mm -hmm. to go back to Isaac. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't, we're not told how long he's there, but apparently while he's with Isaac, Isaac dies and Esau and, and Jacob bury him. And that's where we, I think we touched on that, that the, yeah. we've kind of alluded to that, but this is where that happens, Well, that he, they come back. And I guess 
it's kind of assumed that they have made, you know, continued the piece that they made earlier on with all the gifts. Yeah. And this is also very reminiscent of Isaac and Ishmael coming back together to, to bury Abraham. Mm-hmm. And, and once again, I, I think this kind of drives home the, that point that even though you may not be the one that the, the promises of the covenant is being delivered through, it doesn't mean you're beyond redemption. Well, and I, I think it's, and I think I found a way to, to say what I was trying to say. It's like <laughs> not so much redemption necessarily. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, you're not beyond redemption. I think that's definitely a, an aspect of it. But to be able to participate in the blessings without being part of the promise. Does that make sense? Yeah, not being necessarily part of the priesthood, but being, be, being able to participate in the blessings and the abundance that God can provide. By, because, you know, God says, I'll bless those who bless you. Mm-hmm. And so by hanging out with them, and, and for lack of a better term, but, you know, for, <laughs> by, but by cohabitating and, and being uh, good neighbors mm-hmm. and, and being good extended family even, mm-hmm. you know, you get to participate in the blessing that's going on. Uh, the blessing extends beyond Israel. Well, and we see that with Esau. I mean, he was evidently doing pretty well when Jacob came back. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he had 400 men with him. That's not a small army for a private individual. Yeah, that's not something you just call your neighbors up for. <laughs> right. And so th- there is that aspect. And we also see it again. Uh, we saw it previously with Abraham and Melchizedek. When uh, Melchizedek shows up, he's not part of the, the tribe or the, the line from Abraham. He's from outside the family, but he is the priest of the one true God. And we see it again with Moses and Jethro. Mm-hmm. So we've got people who are not part of the covenant community per se. Uh, they aren't going to have the, the promised land. They aren't going, well, Melchizedek was in Salem, which was the early name for Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, they aren't going to be the ones that help birth the Messiah. They aren't going to bring about the day of the Lord, but they are still included uh, under this this covenant because you know the rabbis believed that okay when Noah gets off the ark there there's a list of rules that's given to him and there's like seven rules there um, I I don't have them all uh, but you know the main one is that you don't kill another human being right and the rabbi said, if you did this, then it's going to be counted to you as righteousness. And, and they're like simple rules. They're, like they're, if you followed the rules, yeah. not, not if you killed someone. Right. Don't, yeah, don't kill someone. But if you followed the rules, I mean, it's very much, you're going to be included in this blessing. It's going to be counted to you as righteousness. And so it, it's, it's accessible. God's love and blessing is accessible, even if you're outside of that line. Yeah. Even, yeah, even if you're not part of the quote, the promise mm-hmm. or the, or trying to think of a, a better way to say that because it's it's kind of bulky it, it's kind of bulky and it's kind of cumbersome to think of that if you if you're not part of the i don't know if you want to use noble purpose i guess is the as some translations use and i think it's romans mm. so yeah, that's yeah this is the hard thing about trying to distill a theological view into something uh that you can put an easy handle on yeah i mean it's this difficult. is why i'm not on twitter <laughs> well, I am, but I mean, so this is why we don't we don't tweet well. No, no, our ideas are too complex, and I I don't uh, as we go into or we this, may just not be that witty. You know, they say brevity is the soul of wit, so that might be that might be what it is. I'm pretty witty, uh, but yeah. <laughs> so if I do say so myself, humble too. Just not brief. No, not brief. Uh, so soulless wit. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. 
And this is where our weird ideas come from. Uh, so, but I actually, the, this next chapter actually illustrates some of what we were saying about uh, the idea of still being able to, to have favor and even to have importance. Because in the middle of Jacob's story, we have this little crossover into Esau's descendants. Yeah, it's like, meanwhile, back over at Esau's <laughs> back camp. Back at the ranch. Yeah, back in, yeah. And the thing is, I, I, I tried to come up with something, like, really good and fascinating. I, I failed miserably. It's a genealogy. It's, a, it's very difficult. It, it really is. You didn't translate all the names and try to make a sentence or anything like that? No, I, I was not going to waste my time. Uh, I just no chiastic structure in there. There probably is. I mean, but you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. Uh, There, uh, there are some places I draw the line. It's like some. I was telling you over lunch. You know, I would go look at different sources, and at one point, I was just like googling just random terms to see if anybody had something out there. Because even the academic stuff, there's like nothing. And well, I'm sorry. There were a couple of things, but they were like I had to pay fifty three dollars for one and forty nine dollars for another, and I'm like. Yeah, sorry. Uh, y'all are worth it, but I don't have it. So anyway. We'll wait on the answer. Yeah. Patreon. Anyway. <laughs> but no, I'm kidding. Completely kidding. Um, but the, you know, so there's some, some work that's done there. Uh, but the fact that you do have this, I think that's really the most important, the f- important thing about it. It's here. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it is included in Esau is, um, he is remembered. And so the the first verse is, uh, this is the line of Esau, that is Edom. So we do get that, the identification that the descendants of Esau are going to become Edom. That's mm-hmm. an important thing to know because the Edomites are going to be major players after the Exodus. Right. And during the Exodus. Uh, and with King Saul, which is kind of interesting because we've got this, there's probably something to the fact that we're look, looking at Rachel's death and then uh Esau rising up, Saul actually goes against the king of the Edomites. That's the king that he keeps alive that he should have killed. Mm-hmm. And that Samuel gets onto him and says, the, king has, the kingship is going to be taken away from you because you didn't do what God told you to do. So there's probably some kind of tie-in there that is just now clicking. Yeah. So well, you we guys, can come back to that later if we want. But Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm throwing it out there. I'm probably not going to go into anything. Sure. But, um. The other interesting thing is that Esau's descendants are grouped according to his wives. And you got to remember, he had two Hittite wives or Canaanite wives. Mm-hmm. Then he went and got a wife from, um, from Ishmael. Right. And so even in that, the way that the, the lineage is grouped, it's kind of like, okay, here's his Canaanite wives. They're over here. And Ishmael's wives are a little bit more... Ishmael's daughters are a little bit more important, so we're going to give them a little bit more space. Uh, most of them, you know, to me, I'm reading through this. This is just, just names. Uh, they are living in the country of Seir. The, they do have the geographic locations where they're living. That's mm-hmm. going to become important when we go into the conquest of the Holy Land. I didn't see any reason for us to go over it twice. If go over, the, I mean. We probably should if we were being true, you know, true academics. So we're talking about why we're not talking about it? Yeah, we're talking about why we're not talking about it. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And that's where where I kind of of ran out and went, 
So yeah, we'll be moving on to Joseph after that. But I wanted to, I just wanted to acknowledge that it was there and why it was there that yeah. they're going to become major players and acknowledge that, yeah, the limits of my patience and interest sometimes does. So if thin. you know of a good article about the, <laughs> that chapter, send it to us. Yeah. I mean, I would be interested in reading what somebody smarter than me has to say about it. Yeah. Because uh, I, I honestly, I just kept glazing over and I don't feel too bad because it is the baguettes. Right. Well, and, and that's, that's saying something if you're losing interest in it, because you can read some stuff that, that loses me. And I, I'm no, I'm not a slouch when it comes to reading, but man, there's some stuff that, that you read that does lose me from time to time. And I'm like, this is so awesome. I will say one of the, the uh, major uh, descendants of, of Esau is the Amalekites. And they're going to show up again. And so uh, we do, excuse me, we start to see Esau's descendants, not only as they're being born, they're also being absorbed by the surrounding cultures. Mm. And, you know, Esau set that in place whenever he married women, who were Canaanites. And this is going to become a problem later in the, you know, down the road, because he was, Esau did not have the vision for the future that, that Jacob had. And Jacob was willing to go that extra mile. I mean, literally the extra seven years mm-hmm. to get the, the right wife. Yep. So that's kind of where I'm at. Okay, well, cool. That sounds like a good place to end it for this time. And so, yeah, everyone out there in uh internet world, the, uh, I don't know, podcastosphere, podland. Podland. The I, pod people. No, uh, that's different. Yep. <laughs> so all of, our, all of our listeners, thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you know, you know the drill. Like, comment, share. Share, share, share. Raven uh, Creek SC, we're everywhere. Raven Creek SC on all social media, ravencreeksc.com. Uh, Patreon.com, if you really, really liked it, uh, you can support us there at patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. And um, hopefully by this time, I should have the new store up. Uh, we've been having some issues with that. Um, but that should be ready to go by the time this airs, and we will be excited to now we're going to be slimming down the line a little bit, kind of focusing a little more. I think I went a little bit crazy with all the stuff that I could <laughs> get from this company that I just put it all on this store. So we're going to be kind of slimming down our inventory a little bit and kind of focusing a little more. But that's uh, something you can learn about uh, on the website. Yeah. If you go to ravencreeksc.com, click the support link and you can find all that stuff there. So anyway, come back next time. We like having you and uh, we like being here. So. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.